Hello and welcome to Bellhaven Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Weber. On today's episode, you'll be listening to PSY 342, Psychology of the Exceptional Child. I hope you listen and enjoy. Class 3, um, Session 2, and we just went over the federal definition of a learning disability, and I'm going to just let you know that there are um, some who would criticize this. Remember, this is from IDEA that we do with the federal definition. Um, there are other institutions out there that look at um, what an LD might be, and one is the National Joint Committee for Learning. Um, they have some dissatisfaction with the definition we use in the schools, and just want you to be aware of that. Um, here's some of the things they, they don't like that we are referencing psychological processes. Um, that we omit some of the intrinsic natures of learning disabilities and that we don't talk about adults because, I mean, adults aren't in school, so clearly we wouldn't need to do that. Um, I haven't talked a lot about self-regulation and social issues. Um, those self-regulation is something that we do try to teach in a classroom, but it's not in the definition. And this is to keep yourself on task and learn ways to do that, which we all have to do. If we're trying to go to school, we, um, we all drift off. Everybody daydreams. It's not just kids with LD who do that or attention deficit problems. We all do it. Um, and we have to just learn to go, oops, I need to get back on task. And there are ways to teach that. Um, we've got terms that are hard to define when we are dealing with learning disabilities. Um, did, what does the discrepancy mean? How much of a discrepancy do we need to have? Um, what does that exclusion clause actually mean? Um, that not everybody's clear about what extrinsic factors we need to exclude. And putting spelling in, a lot of folks don't think that ought to be um, a, a consideration when it comes to a learning disability. Um, that since we've got spell check and um, you know various things that we could look it up, that we don't have to know how to spell. Um, others obviously disagree with that. Um, here's some criticisms that they would have about the discrepancy approach. And remember, that's that achievement to your ability discrepancy. Right. They believe that the formulas that we use to get that are statistically flawed and that there would be easier ways to do this, that this approach is expensive and hard to put into play. Um, one of their big focuses really is that they don't believe IQ scores are reliable and can't really predict whether you can read or not. And honestly, we don't test reading with an IQ score. Remember, we would just do sort of a general information um, section and it has vocabulary in it, but it really wouldn't say whether you could read or not. And they believe using this discrepancy approach in those really earlier grades, like elementary school, is just useless. By the way, it's still done, but this is the criticism. So prevalence numbers are kind of high here because this is considered um, a high incidence uh, disability, and it's about five to six percent of your kids who would be somewhere between six and seventeen years old. Um, you'll note it doesn't go to eighteen, but usually if we hadn't caught them by seventeen, um, we're not going to catch them. There are a few that just sort of slide through and have issues, and in, in somehow they've passed. And as long as they can pass. Um, they don't really have such a problem that we would worry about. Half of the kids who get any kind of special ed at all 
are going to be LD. So it's really a large percentage of the kids who get special education. So there you go. Um, prevalence numbers is about doubled since 1977. Now, if you remember from our uh, class one, it was 1975 when we first had the law go into effect that we would work with children who had um, any kind of special needs in the school. And before that, we just didn't work with them, period. Um, so our early numbers were quite small. The, the biggest focus back in the 70s was on the more severe disabilities, like the children who would have um, you know, intellectual disabilities, those who might have vision or hearing problems. Um, we didn't really focus much on this. They, you know, they were aware um, of learning disabilities, but we just really didn't have a huge focus. And as we've gotten more and more aware and better at diagnosing, um, we've seen these numbers grow. Um, possibly there's an increase in children who have learning disabilities, and possibly it's just we've gotten better at finding them. Um, there are some who think that we have over-identified, that we are putting kids in as a diagnosis who really don't truly have a learning disability. So that's kind of a question that some people are concerned about. And some think it's just due to societal changes that we've gotten, you know, so aware now of learning disabilities that we assume pretty much everybody has one, if there's any issue at all. Whereas before we would have just said, you know, you need to work a little harder. Um, we do see more boys um, than girls, and that's about a three-to-one ratio, and that's going to be especially true um, for the reading and the writing. Um, it's not going to be that high of a discrepancy when it comes to math. Um, usually there, it's a little bit more even um, between the, the genders. All right, so when we look at suspected causes, one big one is that there's been an acquired trauma to the central nervous system. Um, you know, maybe some little small injury to the brain that didn't result in huge problems, but um, smaller issues. Now, this acquired trauma can come anytime. It could be that while the child is in utero, we had, you know, sort of maybe the mom fell and there might have been a small hemorrhage. Um, uh, within the, the child's brain. So it can be something like that. Um, we do see a lot of children who are multiples, like twins, triplets, um, who have high levels of things like LD and maybe just room for the brain to grow um, within um, the uterus. Um, we do think that there are some genetic influences. This is one of those things um, we haven't identified a gene. Um, although they are working on that. But as you look at family histories, you oftentimes hear that phrase, it runs in the family. And that tends to indicate you'll see grandparents who've, who say, yeah, back in the day I had struggles with this, but we didn't know it was learning disabilities. And then maybe the parents have had issues and the kids have issues. So um, this does seem to have some sort of genetic influence. Um, possibly biochemical abnormalities within the brain. And these would tie back to the neurotransmitters. And there are some folks who like to give medications for this, but that is not really something we normally would do. 
Environmental possibilities, again, people who share genes oftentimes share environments. Um, there are many, many things that have been proposed for possible um, causes of learning disabilities. Um, staying in uh, only fluorescent lighting actually has been one. Standing in front of microwaves when they go off is one. Um, lots of different things in the environment that we think possibly would cause a child um, not to be able to process well. Here are sections of the brain, and this little kind of grill, I guess I call that lavender. Um, that little section is your temporal lobe. Temporal lobes are right over your ears, because you can kind of see, and that actually is where your hearing's processed, by the way. Um, but we believe that that area and some areas just kind of really close around it are tied um, to various reading disabilities. And there are a couple of spots in there that have actually been located and diagnosed. Um, um, a specific area tied to reading or to writing and so you will see some kids you know who can understand spoken language and not written language and um, you know some kids are going to be able to um, sing even if they stutter so there's all kinds of issues that tie back to kind of reading right in there we're going to look a little bit at characteristics because these kids now let me back you up just a sec um, when we're talking about kids who have learning disabilities and all these characteristics you can see hyperactivity is already up um, Kids aren't going to have every one of these. Like you may have one kid who has three or four of these. You're looking for clusters of these. You got another kid who has another four or five of these. Um, and some of them are going to have a lot of them. Um, so as you're looking at the different kids, just be aware of what these characteristics are and realize any of them could pop up. All right, so we're going to see hyperactivity. Um, we're also obviously going to see that when we look at ADHD, and there's a lot of overlap between the two and some of the kids who have ADHD can get an LD ruling okay and sometimes it goes the other way kids who are hyperactive are more active than your typical child now if you look at children who are under seven um, spe specifically those like three fours and fives they are active I mean kids who are this age are supposed to be active and honestly if you could just hook them up to an energy source we'd all be happy and we'd never have to pay for electricity again all right they just run and run and run and run and run and they hang off of trees and they climb things and that's normal all right but this kid is going to stand out all right so if you like line up a whole bunch of kids at church and they're about to sing and you've got like the five-year-olds up there they're all going to fidget that's normal all right this kid is fidgeting so big that you can't help but go oh my gosh look at that child all right really big activity more so they they really quit taking naps real young uh, more than the other kids would and so you really almost have to look at it in comparison to other kids um, when you're looking at hyperactivity all right there are going to be some impairments in your perceptual motor skills um, this generally tends to tie into things like they see things backwards. Um, so the B, letter B, looks like the letter D. Um, and they get kind of confused with that. They may see it correctly and draw it backwards. Um, it oftentimes comes in with other things too. Um, they're going to get left and right very confused. So directions are going to be very hard for this kid. Um, sometimes they'll reach for the doorknob on the opposite side of the door. They may be on the right, and yet they reach for the left because their brain has uh, kind of turned this around the other way. 
Um, so it's not going to be just in their letters. And they're going to write letters backwards. They're going to write numbers backwards. Now, here's the deal. That's real normal for kids to do when they're four, five, and six. Um, so they'll make E's backwards a lot of the times, and some parents going to scream, oh, no, they've got an LD. Um, we like to wait and see if they grow out of that because that's pretty standard when they're that age. Uh, so most of our diagnoses don't come in until they're about seven or eight because we kind of want to see um, if they outgrow some of these things because, again, they all do it. All right, y'all heard of stability where you are emotionally stable. Lability is a word that your spell check's going to tell you is not a word, but it is. Um, and it means that you are all over the place when it comes to your emotions. You're the opposite of stable. You are up, you are down, you laugh, you cry. Um, these kids bounce around with their emotions um, very, very quickly. So they can be just happy one second and two seconds later they're angry or they're crying. And then that goes away and they're fine. Um, and that is really hard. Um, for folks who are dealing with them because you don't know how they're going to react. There are coordination issues. These kids are klutzy, clumsy, awkward. That comes from, again, those central nervous system issues. There's a lot of attention. Um, paying attention is very, very difficult for these kids, um, and they tend to get distracted very, very easily, and a lot of the ADHD symptoms there. They're impulsive. Um, you'll see that also with ADHD, and this is a child who has a really hard time uh, keeping their hands to themselves. They tend to blurt things out that maybe they shouldn't say. Um, so they're, you know, really going to be hard to get under control. And again, that's also pretty common with your standard preschooler. Their memory um, may show some disorders and they don't remember things well that, you know, they really should be able to process. All right, obviously the main definition of an LD is that they struggle academically, so you would definitely have some academic problems, and if they don't, we don't even give them an LD ruling. So something that is academic, those seven areas, they struggle. Now, this is not true for all kids with LD, but some of them will have social skills deficits, and they are um, just really awkward when it comes to getting along with other children. They may say inappropriate things. Um, they tend to be a little bit um, self-focused, egocentric when it comes to interacting with others. And there are some of these kids who are very well-liked, and there are some who are just very not well-liked. Um, information processing is taken in material. Um, when we did the learning and memory class, if you've taken that already, we talked a good bit about this, where you're looking at information and processing it through your short-term memory over to your long-term memory and being able to bring it back. And encoding in particular is really hard for these kids um, to get it to go into long-term memory. They don't really know how um, to do that. Meta means understanding. So metacognition is that you understand your own cognitive processes. And, you know, obviously by now you guys would know uh, what works best for you. All right, so some people like flashcards. They don't work for me. I hate them. Um, but other people, you know, different things will work. These kids have no idea what cognitive strategies to use so that they can learn and be successful. So they, you, you give them some ideas and they're like, oh, I never thought of that. Um, so sometimes we need to teach them. Here are some strategies that you can use to learn this material. 
Um, some, remember, have language uh, deficits. Remember, the areas were broken down into reading, and some had writing issues. Some had the oral expression or the listening comprehension. And then also, some, remember, had math deficits. Almost all these kids are going to have motivational problems. It's really hard to get them to want to do anything academic because they know this is going to be hard for them. They don't do well with this, and so they just try not to do it. Um, you know, it's just like trying to find something that will get them excited about learning, and you have to find maybe a, a reward that they would like. Most of the time, you're going to see this child being an inactive learner. Um, they have huge strategy deficits in terms of attacking um, a, a problem set that they need to work on. They have no idea where to start. And again, being non-motivated, they're not doing well. We're going to stop there.